Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is my co-host, Steve Mez. The Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney Racing family for about two decades. Today, we closely follow third-generation driver Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will review Ryan's latest NASCAR race and then preview the race for the upcoming weekend. Offering news, notes, statistics, and analysis. And Steve, we're back, fresh off Ryan's top 10 run at the Geico 500 at Talladega. And one of the key uh, components of a race on one of these speedways is a spotter. And joining us again is a guy that's become a friend of the show, Josh Williams, a spotter for Ryan Blaney and that number 12 Team Penske Ford. Welcome back to the show, Josh. I uh, appreciate you having me again. It's a Good week to be here since we're right off of Talladega, so hopefully I can bring a little a little insight and a little little explanation of some of the things that go on through the race, I guess, if we have some questions about it. You're not too tired from talking all weekend. No, I, I slept in I slept in pretty good this morning. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say because there was a lot of chatter on the radio. You were a very busy guy. Yeah, it was uh, three and a half batteries worth, so oh, wow. quite a bit. Yeah, I've Never heard that been. before where that I was watching a race previously where – Someone had crashed because they said the spotter was in the in the process of switching batteries out. So is that like a frantic thing, or do you kind of have it down to a science? Um, typically, it's down to a science, but at Talladega, you talk so much, sometimes you, you kill them a little quicker than you expect. Normally, you'll switch them out in a, in a stage or into the second stage, depending on where you're at. But Talladega, you're going through at least a battery a stage, if not more. But it, my radios are set up to – they beep at me when they get down to, like, 10% battery. So I know when they're pretty close. So hopefully you don't hear a beep. But when you know when you hear a beep, you still got a few laps to switch, switch it out. So you're hoping for a caution. But I actually switched one out Sunday in the middle of a green flag run when we were <laughs> bottom of three one time. So. Oh, boy. <laughs> <You know>? wow. <laughs> wow, that's, that's something you don't even know nothing about there. Exactly. Yeah. Ryan Blaney, Race Recap. Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, so they started the stages of uh, 60, 120, and 188. The comp caution was at uh, lap 25. And uh, right off the bat, all the Toyotas went to the rear. Um, did you did you even notice that early on when they did that? I, I heard they were um, for whatever happened in inspection. I don't know what happened in inspection. Um, but I heard they were. I didn't even know until basically we were about to fire up. So it helped us out to start third instead of seventh. So we were a little bit closer to the front. So I'll take it. That's, that's the first thing I thought of was like track instant track position, um, you know, right off the bat. Um, so yeah, you end up in the second row on the start. Um, of course, within three laps, it's three wide. Um, and I hear bottom of three, uh, that that's a little bit scary right off the bat. Cause I mean, you really don't want to go to the, I mean, there's competition caution. So really at that point, you don't, you know, that's coming. You're not really racing for anything. Um, that kind of surprise you how, how wild guys got right off the bat. Um, a little bit just because of the way Daytona was, how fast we wrecked there. I thought it'd be a little more patient, a little longer. Um, but in all honesty, Talladega is a little wider. So you really, it's not as frantic when it's three wide compared to Daytona. Um, so it happened pretty quick and there's the way qualify, the way the lineups are now, you got some guys that are fast that want to get to the front that just aren't in the front. So they're taking everything they can to get in there. So honestly, the worst place you could be the first run of the race is middle as long as you're not in the middle, you're okay, because the middle just is what makes the car handle the worst. Um, so you try not to get there until you get a good feel for your car after eight or ten laps. So we were kind of stuck on the bottom, and we lost a little bit of track position, but we were kind of stuck on the bottom there. And 
you want to get up and get to the middle, but you also want to run long enough that you have a feel for your car before you get put in that position and make a mistake. So we lost a little track position, just kind of being cautious the first 10 or 12 laps. And then we moved up and drove right back to the front before that Compiello at 25. Yeah. Now, lap, uh, lap nine or 10 there, um, Todd sends a message to you to send a message to Ryan. And I notice he does this during green flag mostly. Um, and it was basically talking about trying to get a fast lap together. Um, is this, you know, for next week's race, basically trying to help with, uh, a better starting position for next week. Yeah. It was just for the, the starting lineup for next week. And honestly, I didn't, I didn't think anything about it at the time. Still just kind of spotting doing my thing and Todd's in there thinking about it. And if we would have probably done it a lap or two earlier, we could have probably ran a really good lap, but we had already kind of caught back up by the time he told us that. So it was a little, a little late just to do that, but it was a great idea to do it, but it was just mm-hmm. a little late to really to maximize getting a lap in, but it was just for qualifying for next week to, it's one of those interesting things that's popped up since practice no longer exists. Though so it's looking more and more like that stuff's going to come back next year. I don't know if they can hold off, but yeah, the way that the, these crew chiefs are thinking ahead of time, all the way the first couple laps of the the current race, they're thinking ahead to how they're going to qualify for the next race. Yeah, it's it's funny in, in the middle of the pack, you're worried about how fast you are when you're running 25th. You you never would have done that before, so it was. I don't even think about it when we're up there. So it's something that he thought about that was a great idea to try to try to do. As um, early on as you, you did get to position, you get up front a little bit, you're, you're basically the information you're trying to feed is what's happening behind Ryan, correct? Or are you looking out front for him too? I'll do 95% of what I do will be out back, um, especially if we're, if we're in the first two or three spots of a row. Yeah. Uh, if we get back, you know, sixth car, seventh car in line, it's a little more of what's in front and – how big of a gap he has to the car in front of him because they can't see through the guys in front of him. So it's a little more of that gap um, just so we don't push people through somebody. Um, kind of like another scenario that happened in the race, I'm sure we'll bring up at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, most of the time it's what's out back, trying to get in the right the right lane. Uh, the only thing I really do if he's sixth or seventh in line with what's in front is if one or two cars kind of get pulled through of our lane and go to the lead. If the leaders are still side by side, nobody's really going anywhere. But once one of those, once a car or two in a lane gets pushed through, it kind of pulls that line through just because it gets momentum and the leaders can go faster. So that's really the only thing I'll try to tell him sometimes. But for the most part, it's what's right around him and what's behind him just trying to get in the lane to advance forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's a suggestion. It's not necessarily – but I noticed, I mean, and I have noticed over the years of you doing it with him, that uh, if you do see a run coming and there's the hole there – that if you if you say it the right way he 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 just does it because he just knows you know it's it's a it's a trust thing for sure yeah know? yeah i mean majority of the spot in there is definitely a what's the word i'm looking for it's definitely a suggestion of where you think it's going to be where to go but there's times that you know that's where to go and you try to say it more adamantly to make sure he takes it or just keep saying it like keep like get up get up or whatever just to make him go so there's there's times and there's just the way I say things. He's, he's aware of it. Of how, if I get animated, it's you need to do it. And if I'm just kind of chilling and it's a suggestion that that's what I think is going to happen, then it's up to you. So yeah, yeah. we got a pretty good relationship with when he needs to and when he can make it on his own. Right. Now um, we get to the competition caution and he says something about screwed up uh, something that he should have jumped in front of the 22 right before the end of the stage there, or not the end of the stage and uh, before the competition caution. So was, was that one of those things where the run was coming and he, and he probably should have taken your advice or? Yeah, but I, honestly, that was really the first time that happened in a race, and I was a little late too with how fast they were coming. 
So he, he took a lot of the blame. I was like, no, that was, that was on me too. Cause I was a little slow with it, but yeah, I think it was the 22 and 17 possibly. Mm-hmm. They were hooked up in the second lane and we were like fifth in line on the bottom mm-hmm. and they got to push off the, in the middle of one or two and off the two. And we could have got up and probably pushed to like second or third and yeah. we stayed on the bottom and they ended up getting all the way like second or third. And then I think Denny popped up and pulled them through. So they went all the way to the lead and we were still stuck like fifth, but that's just, you go through moments like that in the race where you kind of learn things and how fast it's going to happen. And that was honestly the first real run of the race that we could have jumped in front of something. We were, I was slow on it, honestly. And he was just slow going off of what I was saying. It was already happening. So most of that was on me, but you get used to that as you go and start getting faster. Now you're talking about this importance of learning throughout the race. There are some guys and they seem to bounce back race to race, but to where they, they use this philosophy where they just drop to the back right around the whole race, especially if they don't have to worry about points and then wait until the end to come up through. But what we've noticed is for the most part, you guys don't usually ever use that strategy. You're kind of up front trying to lead as much as you possibly can. And do you think that's a benefit overall? Oh, definitely. Um, the more you can be up front and be on edge the whole time, trying to control the race, trying to control the lanes, trying to lead. You learn so much for what happens at the end of the race. Um, I normally explain that situation to people. If, if you want a good finish, you ride around the back and you finish 10th to 15th easy. If you want to be able to win at the end, you race the whole race to be able to win. So it's up. It's really what your, what your MO is for the day. What do you need to do? If you really want to win and, and compete for that win, you need to try all day to be up there and learn and get trust with everybody around. But if you're, you know, one of the back market guys that want to finish 10th or 15th and have a great day for your team, you ride around and survive and stay on a lead lap and let the rest of us take care of that when we all crash. And then you finish mm-hmm. 10th or 15th. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, they take at the competition caution, you take two tires there and that actually gains like nine spots on pit road. So that gets that track position right back to where, where it was earlier. Um, and uh, let's see here. Lap 37, two by two, the high lane he's up to six at this point. So we get to the lap 38 with the caution with the gaze. And um, you said something about Brad said, everything you did was, uh, was great. And thank you. So what, what had happened there, what, if you remember? Um, Brad was second in line pushing Amarola, I believe it was at the time. Mm-hmm. And what Brad was saying was the way we were getting him to push him back to Amarola and get them kind of hooked up. We weren't pushing him through it, and we were just being good at pushing him to him and letting them continue. And then when they broke up, getting back together and keep it, keeping his momentum up with Eric. So that's what Brad was saying, just the way we were working the lanes to be in the third car and actually helping them too in front of us, not just riding there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then during that caution, stay out uh, for being a P3, and um, the 11 leads the low lane to the green behind, uh, and then we're behind the 22 at this point. So uh, this, hey, they put you on TV at this point, actually. I got that in my notes here. Uh, on that restart, uh, do you even know that they're doing that when they, when they click you in? No, you don't know in the race. You'll hear it afterwards, or you'll get on, on your phone after and see people on Twitter saying something about it, but you don't know in the middle of the race. If they're listening or not. Now, um, Ryan describes something with when he gets behind the eleven called a beach ball effect. What exactly does he mean there? If you if you know, um, it's hard to get to someone and actually stay with them. So, Denny was leading; we were second. And what he was saying was, when we would get close to him, we would just kind of push him back out with air away from us. We can never really get hooked up and kind of tandem together. We couldn't stay with him, so. You used to see that a lot with the aero package back in 2017 and 18. And that was why it was a lot easier to control the races because it was harder to actually get 
to people's bumpers where now you can really get there and make huge pushes and big runs. So that's what he was saying with Denny. Like he couldn't really get there to push him anywhere or try to break that bubble, the beach ball effect to break that bubble. It's explained as a beach ball because you kind of compress the air and then it shoots him back out. That's why it's called that. But we just couldn't really get to Denny's bumper at the time. Hmm. Um, let's see here. Lap 48, uh, he goes high. There's six ovals in a row. Well, this is always nice when all the Fords get together. Um, and lap 50, uh, the 21's leading the low lane. Uh, he jumps in front of Ryan, actually, at this point uh, in the high lane. Um, and then uh, where we got to? The, the lap 59, uh, the big shoves, and uh, there's the wreck. Um, from, t- from the TV point of view, uh, you know, and you're up, on, you're up on way up there, and you're across the track from where it actually happens. Um, are you using binoculars to see that kind of distance at that point? Yeah, you use binoculars 95% of the time there. The only time you won't use binoculars is if they are single file on the front stretch. Anytime they're racing, you're looking through binoculars, even on the front stretch. So at that point, Joey was behind us, then Denny, then Stenhouse, and kind of the same situation I was saying where once one or two cars get pushed through, the rest of them, once they come through, they're coming really fast. So that's what happened with giving Denny and Stenhouse such a huge run. Like Matt and us and Joey were already broke through. Mm -hmm. So once they get pushed through and they're hooked up, like they're digging. Well, they're all staying in line. And part of, as I was explaining earlier, with trying to give him the gap in front, when you're pushing somebody, you're just along for the ride. You might as well be blindfolded because you feel right. them a lot more than you can see. Right. And that's kind of what happened there was the 47 pushed Denny so hard into the 22 that I don't think Denny was even trying to make a move. He was trying not to wreck to begin with. Right. It kind of turned him left. Well, the 47 was still pushing. So when he started pushing on the right rear, that turned Denny back. So to me, it's, it's part of that racing because you get such big runs and it's really nobody's fault, but there is a better way probably to spot it, to get through that situation with what's in front to know how hard you can keep pushing. Cause you can push a guy to another guy's bumper. You can't push him through that guy's bumper or you're going to hook somebody. So that's, that's what happened there. That's kind of been the, been the big talk of the sport just the last couple of days. Cause obviously Joey gets out of the car. If you've seen this after you probably didn't see it during it, but gets out and says, after he comes out of the care center, you know, we need to do something about this racing. It's dangerous. I had a, you know, a bar, halo bar coming into my head. Um, and everyone's like trying to find out something with the car to fix or the package to fix. But you said you're kind of saying that even the, a spotter can play a role in just trying to make things a little bit safer for the drivers. You can, you can play a role on how that wreck happened. You can't play a role on Joey getting hit in the left rear tire. And that was causes air to get underneath the car and to flip and, the way he lands, you, you can't play a role in any of that. But a lot of that, a lot of the wrecks that we see that way come from you can do a better job as a spotter, I feel. And that, I mean, I don't even know what was said at that moment, but looking at that, Sinhouse had no clue what was in front of it. So, um, we come down pit road, uh, four tires and fuel, and it takes the, he ran out of gas basically coming down pit road there. Um, that uh, was a little bit of a panic, wasn't it? It definitely was. Um, that goes into something that happened later on in the race, but we thought we were going to be plenty good. And I guess with the extra caution laps, because they were cleaning up before they opened the pit box and stuff, pit road, that we ran out of fuel. So definitely was a panic for me because we were running out when we were second or second, I think. And then the other 35 cars are coming down pit road behind us and we're running 25 mile an hour in front of them. Like, where do we go? How, how do we get out of the way? So, we got out to the grass, which I think was probably the right call just because they're all going to be turning in their boxes just to get out of the way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a little bit of a panic. We lost some track position there, but once we got it fired back up and got fuel back in it, it was okay. But it was definitely, I think it kind of surprises the fuel mileage. I don't know why, if it was because we ran an extra lap or being up front, maybe pushing harder. And it could honestly could be some of that beach ball effect with Denny because you're not lifting as much because you're not really on that guy. So there's a lot that goes into it. And I think that's why it was a question mark of what really happened to trying to get a read for our fuel mileage for the rest of the race. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a little later on where they go with few, with two, two cans later on. So um, yeah, you're right back starting near the back. I mean, not really, it's like 22nd, I think on the restart. So, um, and basically within a couple laps back up, back up into the middle of it uh, by lap 70 up to uh, 11th. And uh, let's see here, the 11's leading at this point. And uh, then, then we start some green flag pitting and uh, everybody's trying to get in line together. Um, where does the call come from to like all the Fords are going to go together, all the Chevys, all the Toyotas? I mean, is there a text chain or something that they're all talk? all the crew chiefs are talking to each other or? So, yeah. So the crew chiefs on the pit box have a, basically a, te- a text chat. It would just be a chat room. Um, I don't even know what they use, but it's like a Ford runs it, but they got all text in there. So they're texting what lap you think, what lap you think others will come, that kind of deal. And they kind of have it set before we race, but it's normally a ballpark. So that's where like Todd will tell me, you know, we need to get to the bottom or get just break set. That's when we're probably going to be fairly close to pitting or, or just getting in the right line with the right people to not get stuck top of three when we're within four or five laps away. So that comes from all the, the pit box and the crew chiefs talking for what lap. And then a lot of times I'll know a window of when we're going to pit, not the exact lap. And then mm-hmm. down the back, it's like, all right, here we come. And it's like, oh gosh, get to the bottom, trying to figure out where the guys are around you, where they're going to be pitting on pit road. Cause you don't want to get, inside of someone trying to break and then they pit early. So it's, it's a little bit frantic pitting under green at Talladega or Daytona like that. And we've seen that in one of Ryan's wins there. He actually spun coming to pit road early on in that one race. And I, you know, I think he was might've even spun from the lead, like at that point coming into the pit. So it does seem a little bit frantic trying to figure out where you need to be. You need to get low on the track in the first place, but then you also have to think about all the people that are around you. And that is a lot of that your job trying to see like, are their pit, they pit here. Do you have like a list or are you just kind of paying attention to where people pit? I have a uh, pit road map up there with me. So under yellow, it's easy. Like you probably hear me. I'll tell him where somebody's pitting or whatever. It's easy, but under green, within a lap, I don't know who's going to be in front of us. You know what I mean? So it's a lot more frantic. So I'm trying to tell him when to pit. I'm trying to even figure out who's pitting in front of us. And then I'm trying to find them on a list of 40 cars where they're pitted all at the same time. So it's really frantic, but I try to do my best to tell him where other people are pitted. Um, it's hard. But going back to us spinning out at Talladega was fall of 19 when we won. That was the first time in Ryan's career that he had pitted under green from the lead. So he didn't know where his braking mark was because he's used to having everybody break in front of him. So that was why we spun out because he airmailed it in there because he wasn't sure where he needed to break. So that's a funny story to that, but that was right before the red flag before we finished on Monday and one. Yeah. Um, Now at this point now, one second basically on pit road and you could lose the draft. And, and this kind of seems to happen there. Um, How frustrating is it to, to, to lose the draft and then try to figure out some guys to work with. It's, it's very frustrating because it doesn't take much to lose it. I mean, you can be eight or ten car lengths back, and you're like, we're in trouble. Like, you know, you pretty much know you're going to lose it leaving pit road. 
so that's frustrating. And then frustrating trying to find somebody to work with because you don't know when you're going to catch another single car. And then if there's a group of seven or eight coming, it's kind of hard to latch onto them because they're going so much quicker. Right. So I think that one, we ended up hooking up with the, was it the six and 77 maybe, but it was like two or three or two or three of us. Yeah. I just got together and just, you're not going to run the leaders back down. You're not going to keep up. You're just trying to run faster lap time to not go a lap down really. Lap or not. Down. Yeah. So we were a second and a half off, but we we're just making better lap time than by ourselves. Yeah. Luckily at the, the caution was basically five or six laps after that and gathered everybody back up. Yeah. Um, it was lap, like at lap, well, lap 104, they're pitting with four tires and fuel um, and uh, restarting 16th. So really not that far back for anything, all that stuff that happened. Um, and by lap 110, now uh, we're looking at, uh, you know, we're getting close to uh, the end of a stage here. So now everybody's starting to get three wide. And um, the, uh, the high lanes seems to be the moving, the moving lane. Was that all day like that where the high lane was just going to be the better lane to be in? Once it, once it kind of gets pushed through, like I was saying, and there's three or four cars leading, it kind of gathers momentum. And it, what happens is when you get those cars three wide, which would be another thing i'll explain later <laughs> when you get cars three wide they all just kind of get stuck and lose momentum mm -hmm. so once that top lane gets four or five cars pulled through it and then they're three wide for sixth bottom lane has no momentum no momentum in the middle lane just holding on so it a lot of those guys in those lanes bail and go to the top lane so that's what kind of starts that train and then it turns into nobody being left and then you have a train that you can't really make moves on so a lot of the times it turns into being that just because the top lane can get that momentum. And once you get a few cars pulled through with a fast one leading, it just, you don't even want it to turn into a train. It just does. Uh, basically at the end of the stage, we have that caution there and uh, you guide him, guide him through there. Just says, go low, go low, keep coming. And, uh, and uh, Bubba ends up winning the stage there. Um, so uh, uh, let's see here. He's no, he's got no, he says no complaints on how it's handling and they just do uh, two tires. Um, and leaving on Todd there, and they go in fifth and come out first. So basically, all the strategies worked out now, and and you're back out front front again uh, for the next restart. Yeah. Um, of course, Todd's always saying, "Save me some fuel." Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Ryan asks about Bubba uh, with having the car on top of him earlier. Did he actually be able to? He heard something, or he saw he, something? He was in front of him, looked in his mirror, and where the it was actually the spoiler of the 22 car clipped him in the top of the mirror so the mirror yeah. had a, or the windshield and the windshield had a dent in it yeah, so look at his mirror he could see the the roof was like and then had a dent so he could see that that's what he was asking about i was gonna say because i mean he's he's so far ahead of that when it happens that, you know i was trying to figure out how he actually you know yeah. saw saw what, what had happened to the car it was funny to me he was like did we lose both our drafting help when they wrecked and I knew Joey wrecked because I seen the orange go up in there, but I didn't even know Brad wrecked. He, like, he knew more than I did, and it's like <laughs> he's looking through a three-inch by 12-inch mirror up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just trying to see the carnage behind him. Yeah. Um, let's see. So they were starting on the bottom here with the Fords in the high lane, and uh, basically at this point, uh, lap 120 is when we get this piece on the grill. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is like from the backing from some Barabond, I, I guess. That's what it looked like to me. I think it was the pizza Barabond, but it was the peel off side. So it was just yeah. the, the plastic piece there. So it was a huge piece. I don't even know how it got out there being that, but we hit it like lap one of the restart. Like it was there immediately. And I'm like, Oh Lord. 
Now, when you're uh, when you're oh Adam, go ahead, go ahead, Adam. I was gonna say when you're up on the spotter stand now and you are coordinating this, do you have to run down to the other spotters, find them, and and get this together because what they did in, in the laps that followed was amazing. You know, 200 la- miles an hour. I'm going to get out of line. I'm going to get in line behind you. And I know that you're the one that actually had to coordinate all that. Yeah. That was probably the highlight of my day was trying to coordinate that. That was actually <laughs> pretty fun. Um, so when he said he had, he said he might need to switch the temps for climbing. I went down to Joel that spots for Amarola. I was like, Hey, we got debris. We may have to switch. And he's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, you need to go to the bottom. I'll let you back up. Cause that's if, if you go to the bottom and try to get back up with that train and everybody keeps pushing, you'll get left out. So you don't really want to leave the train, but you can make one guy pass you and let him clear just by dragging a little bit. So talk to Joel first and like, Hey, we're going to probably have to switch here in a couple laps. Like I'll let you go to the bottom. I'll tell you when. So that's why I was telling Ryan, like, let me know so I can tap him and tell him when to go. And then I went down to um, Clayton that spots for McDowell and told him that we were going to switch at some point and I'm going to let him go to the bottom and clear back up. So that way they're not, overly pushing through Eric to let Eric back up. So it was kind of fun because you're, like you said, you're coordinating that at 200 mile an hour and, and trying to make it work out. And it worked, it worked perfect in the situation was I wasn't sure if it was going to or not. Yeah. The announcers at that point were saying it wasn't going to be possible. And they're basically saying Ryan was just going to have to pull down and go to the back and, and get it to come off. I did think it was funny when the restart happened. I was like, when did he get nose damage? And then I was like, that's just a weird color of tape for them to pick. <laughs> and then I realized eventually that it wasn't. So one other thing that happens, and I don't know if you know what, that this was going on, or maybe you knew from talking with the spotters, but there was a point after that, that Almirola is getting nervous about fuel mileage. And they're like, he's on the radio kind of being as angry as Eric Almirola can get. And saying, you know, you know, we helped them out. You know, can I, can we, can we switch back now? And they, they said that um, he was upset because he said you guys were saying that you're you're trying to run full throttle, and they said we see the data. They don't, that's not what they're doing. So, yeah, I knew that happened. Um, <laughs> so we switched and ran probably eight or ten laps, and Todd asked Ryan to save some fuel, and Ryan's like, "I'm running full throttle just to keep up. I can't really save much. I'll try to modulate it." So, like the next lap, Joel came down. I was like, "Hey, you want to switch back so we can save some fuel?" And I'm like. No, we're trying to save fuel. Like, no, I don't want to do it right now, actually. So um, I was like, we're running pretty much wide open trying to keep up. Like, we're not really saving that much. And I guess that's how it went back to them, which was mostly true. But I, we definitely weren't going to save any lead in the line. So we were trying to save a little bit. Um, they got single file for a little while there, which was actually a kind of a – it's kind of a, like a breather. Are you able to, like, take a deep breath at that point when you get a single – and you don't have to worry about as much uh, things happening. Yeah, like in, in that position, when we were second and there, five or six forwards behind us, yeah, you're, you can take a breather. If you're still fourth or fifth in line, you can't. Like you still have to spot a little bit. Um, I try to take a breather, but you're still every straightaway talking about something. Um, right. But it's easier with the forward guys because you know none of them are going to try to make a move. Whereas if you got – a Chevrolet or Toyota guy with a couple of them lined up, they could try to make a move at any point. So it's a little bit of a breather and it was being second, but it's still, you're always constantly watching because something could happen behind. Now, um, lap 156 is when the, the, the Chevys and Toyotas pit. And then uh, of course, I think we pit right the next, next lap right after that. Um, 
have you ever seen anything like that with the 47 spinning, hitting something, and then not actually calling a caution? I was a little surprised they didn't. I was a little surprised they didn't throw the caution. I think the reason they didn't was because he kind of – he hit pretty good, but he kind of just yeah. bounced off of it, and it pointed him straight down pit road, and he was under control. Like, he wasn't locked up or, or slowing down to get out. So, I think that's why they didn't. Um, but it was a little – I was expecting for the caution to come out any second, and it didn't. Now, um, the 158, they pit, and they take the four tires and two cans of gas. Now, I end up hearing the explanation on, on, the, on this thing here because um, Todd basically tells them he needed the second can <laughs> because of what happened earlier in the race. Yep. Now, this does hurt the track position, though. Um, so, I, I don't know, like, I mean, is it, is it upsetting a little bit to, to Ryan at that point because of that? I mean, Yeah, it was because we were pitting from – whatever second there at the moment. So you lose your trap position. And the reality of it is you want to be the first car in the Ford line because you know, the Fords are probably going to help and you're going to be the one in a good position at the end. And our strategy was good to be out back out in front. So the reality was we were going to be first or second, probably if we have a normal pit stop. And instead we came out eighth in line and we were 10 car lengths off the pack again. So then you lose it. So it was frustrating for sure. But luckily we still had, 25 laps to go, whatever it was. So you, you needed a caution to have any chance to do anything, but right. you're probably going to get a caution too. So yeah, it, well, I mean, the world. it was kind of interesting though, because uh, you heard them talking about everybody else who pitted and a lot of them were talking about being a lap or two short. So if it would have stayed green, would we have seen a bunch of cars sputtering out on the track at, you know, um, and maybe gaining, gaining position that way. Yeah. So, Typically, those numbers you hear are running wide open. So if they say they're a lap too short, they're going to save that if they're in the pack. Mm -hmm. So that's why they kind of push it right to the limit that they can make it to the end. And then if you get a caution, each lap's a lap and a half of fuel. So you can right. save that too. So you, you normally pit right there with, you know, you're one lap short if you're going to be in the pack, and then you can save that to get to the end. So everybody would have probably been fine, but we had a caution. Yeah. Yeah, we got to, what is it, lap 170, a caution for the double zero. Um, Adam asked me if, if everybody went down pit road and just gave the double zero a bunch of money to go ahead and <laughs> <laughs> spin out at that point. I mean, I, I would have. I'll take it. It helped us out. <laughs> um, of course, we're staying out at this point, and uh, this is, uh, you know, things kind of start to line up because now you gain all that track position back, um, I think all the way up to eighth at this point. And um, – you guys kind of celebrating on the radio a little bit because you guys are, you know, you're back in it. Yeah. I was surprised that we got away to the eighth, honestly. Like I didn't expect that many people to pit. And I think we were 18th or 19th before the pit stop or before that yeah. caution. So I was like, we're going to restart 14th, 15th and have to get back up there. And all of a sudden we're first four cars in a row, which is a good spot. Yeah. So I was happy about that. Um, let's see here. And, and right off the lap 180, the, of course, the two lines up with you, the 21, and then a lap later, the 21's there. So now all of a sudden, all three of you guys are together. Um, and then all the Fords line up, basically, within the next couple laps. Um, let me ask this question now, because, I mean, you get the lap right before that, that last caution there. Do you think that you guys could have just maintained that to the end of the race if another caution hadn't come out? Yeah, I think, I think our group would have been able to hold off pretty much any run, just because we had, I think we had six, seven Fords there. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's hard. We've seen it earlier. Some guys going to the bottom could get there, but it's hard to create that run when everybody's running wide open, like the middle of the race, when everybody's the whole train is going on and a lot of people are running 40% throttle, like it's a big lift. 
you can gain it and kind of pull guys off of it and get up there. But at the end of the race, it's harder to create that just because everybody's a little more aggressive and pushing a little bit harder. And we get that uh, caution lap 187, which of course, of course is going to cause the, the, the green white checker. Um, and uh, I, I took a note. There was something about the, the four car coming up to push you guys. Basically Ryan said, just tell them, bring it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, we've noticed over the years that part of what makes Ryan so good at these races is that guys can hit him, you know, and the crap out of him from behind. And yet he still keeps the car pointed straight and, and even, you know, we've seen some squirrely things happen, but uh, he's able to, to, to keep going forward um, when guys hit him like that. He's got, a, he's got a ton of car control, and he's willing to take a push when it knocks him out of line. Like, he's willing to, to hold on. He knows that's what you need to do to, to be fast, and he's willing to, to take it. So that's what Timmy Fido with the spots for Kevin. He came over to me. He said, what do you want to do? I was like, push with all you got. Like, try to turn us. You won't. Just keep pushing. <laughs> that's what I told Ryan. Like, he's going to bring it. He's like, yeah, bring it. So – it almost worked. I mean, we were within a foot of getting clear in the three. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, because I've said this to, to a couple of people since then, I mean, there's 30 whatever cars on the lead lap. And basically with a green, white checkered, you have 30 different agendas. And the hardest thing I would think to do is to try to figure out whose agenda is going to help your agenda. You know, yeah. from where you're standing, the runs are happening so fast. I mean, what do those last two laps feel like to you? Uh, about 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to live through it, we went into one and two, and we were getting a good push from Kevin. And then the 96 went to the top of the 17, which pulled him off. So that stopped everybody behind us. So at that point, as soon as Kevin got off our bumper, we were screwed because there's no help behind him. So we go into three with Kevin still pushing us. Like, he did really good. And we were honest within a foot or two of getting clear. Like, me and Ryan talked about it. He's like, I'm looking left, like, I want to try it, but I'm not clear. I know I'm not. Mm-hmm. And then once we get broke up, that drags us all back. And then down the front, there's a couple people that had a little bit of runs, but you can't blame them. They're running 15th, and they see a run, they're going to take it. Like, it's that's right. agendas. That's what you should do. But there's people that had a little bit of runs and start taking it, which at the end of the day, all that does is stall all of our lines because you start pulling people off of it. And like I said earlier, once people are three wide, it's the whole pack is much lower. So – you take a little bit of a run and get like one car. Well, then you stall out and you're three wide and then your lanes are screwed. So that's a lot of what happened on the last lap. Um, Matt was coming up in front of us because we were in a pretty good spot with Kevin. Well, when the 17 jumped out to go with the eight, that left Kevin all by himself, which they still had a little bit of a run. But once they got clear, they just stopped because every, every lane was broke up and spread apart. So once Matt jumped up within like when he jumped up, it was the right move. Two seconds later, it was not the right move, and it was too late. That's just plate racing. That's the way it is. So then it's all broke up. Well, then Reddit gets to a decent spot that if he kind of helps us down the back, that we get back to Matt, and then us three go race for a top five, if not a win, down the front. And instead, he pulled out and went three wide for seventh, and we all raced for seventh to tenth coming back around the corner instead of having a chance to win. So – everybody's on their own agenda and I totally agree with being 15th and trying to make something happen. Cause you don't want to finish 15th at that point. And there's, there's a good point stays like even for Tyler, if he finishes 15th, it's an average day. If he finishes seventh, I think he did. It's a good day. Cool. But also once you put yourself in a better position, like 
once you get lined up as down the back and you're only got one inside and you're clear of the three wide, if you push the guy in front of you, you're going to be racing for a top four or five, not a seventh to tenth. So nobody really did anything wrong. It's just everybody's agenda at the time and some people being overzealous of wanting to race at the moment instead of thinking it out a little bit better to what you could be racing for in 20 seconds. But like I said, nobody did anything wrong. It just it didn't work out. But a lot was happening in that minute and a half of two laps. Yeah. That was that moment I see the gap form behind Ryan, and then Tyler gets this run. I'm like, here we go. And then he jerks the steering wheel to the right probably and takes it to the outside. I was like, oh, no. And I just knew. I'm like, it's over at that point. Because I thought, you know, Tyler comes with this big push, and then it'll send Ryan and the 21 out, and then they'll settle it, essentially going across the line. At least that's how I'm seeing it in my mind. But and uh, I talked to Steve about this, and you kind of said it there, where you're saying people have different agendas, but Tyler is always hard on, on himself, and then immediately came out on Twitter, like, just after the race, and said, I made a terrible move that cost our whole line a chance to win the race, and uh, he was frustrated. So I didn't feel like he needed to apologize, because he's trying to do what's best for him, but now he it might have been a learning experience to where you're saying, actually, what was best for him would have probably been stay in line and then sort things out coming through the yeah. travel. It's it's easy to look back and slow it down in your mind too. What's going on? And he's got a mile an hour run and can pass somebody, so he's going to take it. But at the end of the day, we could have raced for a better position than we raced for at the time. If you kind of help your line to get recharged and going again, but it's all racing. Yeah, I mean that's basically what Michael McDowell ends up doing. Is he he just he maximized what he could do from from where he was at. Yeah, like everybody that finished top five never left the bottom in the last two laps. They all just stayed there, and everybody went up and raced, and we all got split up because we all wanted to be three wide, and they all just pushed through, and they all got the race for it down the front. You definitely thought McDowell had it. I'm like, here he goes again. I'm like, he's just right. <laughs> he's just one of those guys that, that finds a way up front, and I said this to Steve too, is that it's amazing how in every single one of these races, unless he crashes out, Ryan finds a way to the front every time. And it's, uh, I think it just says something to your skill set on guiding him through the pack and his skill set on, on these super speedways. It's just, it's incredible. He's up front every race. Yeah, I, I, I really feel like if there was no wrecks in plate tracks, you're going to have like the same five, six guys racing for the win every race. And it'll, it'll change with a little bit of a strategy or people get wrecked and tore up like Danny did the other day. So he wasn't there at the end, but you still get the same five or six people that, are there at the end and, and have an idea of what's going on and what to do if, if their race just plays out. Do you and think, McDowell's one of them. Yeah. Do you think that uh, because he's won a couple in the last couple of years that a couple of the guys behind him were like, I'm not pushing him again. <laughs> you know? Uh, honestly, I would say it was probably a more of a Ford versus Chevy thing. Oh. Did not help Fords get going again. Not, and not that, it's like a malicious thing, but yeah. when you're Tyler in a Chevrolet, you know you're going to push a Ford back into a Ford instead of making a move, which you made a move. You know what I mean? So it was probably more of I'm not going to help a Ford win instead of trying to keep helping myself as a Chevy. That was probably more of that. Um, I don't think it's a Ryan thing. Honestly, I think once you win a couple, you almost get more help because people kind of understand what you're doing and, and what's – like you know what you're doing to get yourself up there. So – I almost feel like a lot of times we get more help now than we did three years ago. Like I noticed people don't take those runs that Tyler took the other day most of the time now because they understand that we can get back to the front and understand what we're doing. So I think it's a good thing that we've won races 
for the way everybody else races us. So in the end, Matt Benedetto has to wait at least another week for his, his first victory. Teammate Brad Keselowski goes on to win. So now all three Team Penske cars have visited victory lane this year. And Ryan comes home with a top 10 finish and... Steve, I don't know about you, but I really just want to thank Josh for coming on again with us, giving us some really, really cool insight, uh, especially after one of these super speedway races where the spotters, like I said, from the outset are key. Yes, that's an amazing amount of information. Um, uh, I took notes, uh, you know, I take notes for each race and I had to take them totally different because there's no way I could write everything down. I know there's the, 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 the girl, I can't think of her name on Twitter, that does it every week. And she's, you know, I can't. There's no way you had so much going on. And uh, it's incredible how much information the driver has to, you know, listen to you, try to figure it out, 200 miles an hour, make a move, don't make a move. And, and that's just in the middle of the race, let alone that ending, you know. It's, it's uh, definitely a lot goes into it. It's, it's funny listening back because you'll say something and you listen back and you try to picture – what was going on and you're like it came out good or it didn't come out good or i didn't say the right thing to do this like it's funny how much you talk but you still critique it but there's a ton of ton of information that goes into it and i've said before normally i miss half the stuff i should say because i don't have enough time to say it you you deserve you deserve an award for that whole thing with the with the tape on the front of the car i mean that (laughs) basically saved the race um you know, people will talk about the ending and what happened at the finish, but the reality is, is two more laps with that thing on the front of the car, and boom, you know, yeah. the day the day's over. Yeah, it, it took a lot of people to, to make it play out right, but I was kind of I was having fun trying to coordinate it. That was that was actually a cool moment. Yeah, and like I said, that was the highlight of my day was that actually working, and then it coming off too. <laughs> if it don't come off, it was all worthless. So. Yeah, now, I knew I knew as it was going on that you had to be up. They're running around like crazy trying to find the right guy. And, and I didn't know how many guys you had to coordinate with, too, because I knew, you know, the guy in second, yes, but what about the guy in third and the guy, you know, in fourth? I mean, they need to know what's happening, too, so they don't mess it up yeah. um, for the two of you, you know. Yeah. It's just incredible. I think – Well done. Yeah, I think uh, I think Brad was fourth at the time, and Coleman heard me talking about it with the other two, so they kind of knew what was going on, too. So it was definitely made easier by it being all Fords there with people that wanted to work with you not other people. So it, it, it played out the way it was supposed to in my mind. All right. Thank you again, Josh. Hopefully this was your second visit to the podcast. Hopefully you'll be up for another visit in the future. Always enjoy your insight. So I think that wraps up our, our review of the Geico 500 and Ryan Blaney's top 10 run. This week in NASCAR history. Okay, Steve, let's take a jog through our, my NASCAR history book for this week in NASCAR history. May 2nd, 1959, Junior Johnson rolls his Ford in practice but drives the hastily repaired machine to a victory in the 100-mile Grand National Race at Hickory Speedway. Johnson finishes two laps ahead of runner-up Joe Weatherly. May 1st, 1964, a hard-charging Leroy Yarborough snares his first NASCAR Grand National win in the 100-mile race at Savannah Speedway. Marvin Ponch finishes second as only 12 cars start the race. This week in NASCAR history, April 26, 1981, rookie Morgan Shepard drives to an upset win in the Virginia 500 at Martinsville, giving the Pontiac nameplate its first NASCAR Winston Cup Grand National win since 1963. May 2, 1993, Ernie Irvin prevails in an intense two-lap shootout to win Talladega's Winston 500. Rusty Wallace, who has won four times, of the nine races in the 1993 campaign, flips across the finish line after a tap from Dale Earnhardt. Imagine that. 
Wallace finishes sixth and remains his and retains his points lead, but suffers multiple injuries in that crash. And then moving on to April 28th, 2002, rookie Jimmy Johnson surges into the lead with 13 laps remaining and outruns Kurt Busch to win the California 500. Johnson's first NASCAR Winston Cup victory comes in his 13th career start. And you know, if I must say, things did not turn out too bad for Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> yeah, that guy, that guy ended up okay, didn't he? So we have a special entry into this week in NASCAR history, and we're jumping back to Friday, April 27th, 2012, when Ryan Blaney, a young Ryan Blaney, makes his NASCAR Nationwide Series debut at Richmond Raceway. Steve was the one that, that brought this one to my attention. I know we've mentioned it a couple of times before when talking about Richmond and how that was Ryan's first race, but he came out of there with a top 10. What I, what I, the main reason I want to bring it up was when you look at the finishing order, this is before um, they have all these regulations about drivers not being allowed in, in the other series. Kurt Busch won the race. Denny Hamlin was second. Kevin Harvick was third. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was fourth. Sam Hornish Jr. was fifth. Elliot Sadler was sixth. Michael Annette was uh, eighth. Austin Dillon was ninth. Casey Kane was tenth. Also in the field that day, Brad Keselowski finishing uh, 16th. Logano finishing 18th. Uh, Danica Patrick was 21st. Um, and, and something you know is the Baldwin Baldwin never didn't really have a uh, nationwide series uh, car. Um, they basically put that thing together, you know, a couple weeks beforehand, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, I can see why everybody was pretty impressed with him that day. Yeah, and he was in that number 36 advanced auto parts seal wrap car that's funny that he had advanced auto parts on the car because that's come back around into his cup career but i remember being super excited for this race i think he at this point had already run that k&n west race in Mm -hmm. phoenix and won that race so it's like finally you know ryan's on the on the map a little bit i mean i knew who he was and you knew who he was but um he goes out and to run this race, and I think the idea was, you know, they put like five or six races together, and it was really to get noticed. And I think right off the bat here, Brad Keselowski is in this race, and within a couple of weeks after, you know, he makes his first starts in this 36 card, he has Kesla- he and Keselowski are already talking, and that turns into a truck ride, which turns into a contract with Penske, which turns into the Wood Brothers ride, and then we're here today where he's running in the number 12 for a full-fledged Team Penske car, so... It really all goes back to to Richmond in uh, 2012. So that's it for this week in NASCAR history. Tune in again next week as we take another jog through the NASCAR history book. Ryan Blaney, Weekend Preview, Kansas Speedway. All right, Steve, the NASCAR Cup Series heads out to Kansas Speedway this week for the Bushy McBush race. 400 <laughs> and i've heard the, yeah i've heard the the some of the announcers and various other people struggling with this one trying not to laugh as they go i told my wife i'm making him say it i'm not gonna say it <laughs> <laughs> the bushy mick bush race 400 now this all stems from a contest that bush beer had to to name the race and i think this even goes back to there was a, a boat that was being named a couple of years ago, too, where, they, again, they put it out as a contest to name a boat, and they ended up calling the boat Bodie McBoatface or something like that. So 
Bush does Bush Beer does this uh, name the race contest, and we end up with a Bushy McBush race 400 for the NASCAR Cup Series at Kansas Speedway. You can watch the race Sunday, May 2nd at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. This time it's on FS1 on TV and then MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio if you want to listen to it. On the radio, we're looking at three stages again at lap 80, lap 160, and then lap, lap 267. That's 400.5 miles in total. And Ryan has a pretty decent uh, statistical history at Kansas where he's an average finish of 15.3, six top tens, three top fives. And I think we talked about this in our season preview. It's another 1.5 mile track that these Penske cars can really show their horsepower. Yeah, um, 20, uh, 2017, the pole position to start a race, too, there. So, yeah, once they get to the mile and a half, and once again, underneath these um, no-qualifying situations, uh, you know, uh, he's going to start seventh uh, from what I've seen so far. And uh, that's all he needs to do is be up in that top ten to start. And um, I'm sure a good restart or two, and he'll be right up there in the top four or five pretty quick. And you talked about him sitting on the pole in 2017. That was in the spring race as well when he was driving for the Wood Brothers. Led 83 laps that day. A couple races down into 2018, he led 54 laps. And then as recently as the spring race of last year, he led 15 laps. So he's not uh, new to running up front at Kansas. And this is one of those tracks. I think they talk about the mile-and-a-half tracks, the best ones that are on the circuit. Homestead is always one of those ones that comes up. And then I think Kansas, for me, is definitely a close second as far as exciting racing and finishing goes. Um, you know, this is what they wanted to concentrate on the last year or two about finishing races. Uh, this will be one of those ones where I'm sure he'll get up to the front, he'll run up front, and in that last stage, that last segment of the race, uh, hopefully they can uh, make that adjustment, whatever it is, and get themselves right up in there. Let's take a look at the last few winners here at Kansas. Going back to the spring race of 2018, we have Kevin Harvick. Uh, the second race of 2018, Chase Elliott went to victory lane. The first race of 2019, Brad Keselowski, a Penske teammate, won the race. The second race of 2019, Denny Hamlin wins. Then he goes back-to-back, -back, winning the first race of 2020. And then teammate Joey Logano wins the second race of 2020. So again, another, another week, another list of winners, and Ryan's teammates are showing up as winners on this list and brad has another win there uh dating back to 2011 so he's not a stranger to victory lane so it's another week too where maybe he leans a little bit on uh the teammates in the competition meetings but i think he brian has a pretty decent idea how to get around this track yeah this is another good week for some stage points i mean they, they finished second and sixth uh last week in the stages um let's see if we can get another stage win or two here you know get the get those built up um when you look at certain playoff standings, they already have him, you know, second or third up there in the if the playoffs started today. And uh, a lot of that is those stage wins. So get another stage win or two and uh, be there at the end. And uh, this should be a fun week. The stage wins are definitely key. I know early on in the season we were a little bit worried with some of the bad finishes that they had. But last several weeks, Ryan's finishing up front, finishing in the top ten or higher, and gaining those valuable stage points, definitely. But you're correct. We want to get some stage wins to keep adding to that playoff point basket, which I think right now Ryan has eight playoff points with his win and then uh, a few a few stage wins along the way. So 
Speaking of the point standings, let's take a look at the top five. We have Denny Hamlin in first, Martin Truex Jr. in second, Joey Logano in third, William Byron in fourth, and then Ryan Blaney rounds out the top five. He is 100 points behind Hamlin in the driver's standings, but then when you take a look at the projected playoff standings, Ryan is actually in fourth. So, again, with those three stage wins plus the five playoff points he has from his victory at Atlanta, Again, we keep saying it over and over again, but it's amazing where this Team Penske number 12 team is at this point in the season after that slow start. So again, if you want to tune in this Sunday, May 2nd, 2021, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for the Bushy McBush Race 400 at Kansas Speedway on FSN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio and MRN on the radio, you can tune in to see Ryan Blaney start in the 7th position and hopefully go out there and get some more stage points, maybe pick up a couple of stage wins, and obviously we're always looking for him to go out there and win the race. Speaking of winning, Steve continues to be among the the top point winners in the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. Overall, coming out of um, Talladega Super Speedo, which this one's a little bit difficult to predict in some cases, but let's take a look at the top five point uh, winners in the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League at Talladega Super Speedway. Um, <laughs> in first place, uh, it is Blaney Kicks Bleep Beep Bleep. <laughs> uh, in second place, we have Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing. In third, we have the Dalai Lama. In fourth, we have Blaney FT NASCAR. And in the fifth position in the points, most points gathered at Talladega Super Speedway, we have Zombies World with 192 points. Uh, Steve, you didn't do too bad. You have the 10th most points with 171 this week. Who did you have on your lineup? Oh, you know what? Who's number nine there? Number nine. That's Stellanarius? Yes, and I think there's a decent chance we were talking about that that might be uh, the one that gives those great spotter updates, scanner updates throughout the races on Twitter. Twitter, yes. Um, so if you get a chance, it's uh, uh, let me here. Her name's uh, Nicole Chipman, and it's at Stellanarius, S T E L L A R N A R I O U S. So if you're not listening to the spotter, but you do kind of want some info on on what's being said, uh, she she runs a thread on Twitter every week on that. So um, back to my lineup. Uh, well, I actually picked. Brad to win the race. So, first and foremost, that was probably the biggest thing I did uh, this past week. Um, otherwise, I mean, I had um, here's the roster here. I had Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, Eric Amarola, uh, Bowman, and Dylan. Uh, I had Larson in the garage, which was a good thing. And uh, like I said, I had picked Brad to win the race, so that that's where uh, the bulk of my points came. Yeah, definitely good that you kept Larson in the garage because that's he barely made it out of the garage. Didn't even really have a chance to race, which was unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My lineup, I had Kurt Busch, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Daniel Suarez, Tyler Reddick, Michael McDowell, and I had Ryan in the garage. It seemed like at points of the race, uh, this was going to work out pretty well for me. Um, I mean, Reddick ended up finishing the top ten. McDowell was in the, the top five there. Suarez had a top ten run going. Uh, almost to the checkered flag, but kind of got booted out down below the double yellow line that then sent him all the way back into the 20s in the finishing position. And Kurt Busch had a rough day with, uh, I think he had an oil line or something come free in the car. 
and uh, kind of ended his day a little bit early. They did come back out, and it was kind of interesting because there was a point when he pushed his teammate Ross Chastain all the way up to the front and then dipped back out all the way to the back. So mm-hmm. if you want to talk about guys being a good teammate, uh, Kurt Busch is definitely one of those guys. Yeah. This uh, this shook up the, uh, the the standings this week. Uh, a lot of a lot of movers uh, going each direction uh, with some points gained. And you know, I thought I had a decent week, tenth best points this week. But uh, a couple guys jumped right up there to the top, uh, right to the top of the leaderboard. Yeah. So let's take a look at the top ten in the point standings in the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. We have Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing in first. We have Moon Cup in second. We have my man Smez twelve here in third. We have Doug. Zero five or Doug K zero five two five in fourth. We have Blaney FT NASCAR in fifth. We have Blaney's Daisy in sixth. We have I'm a winner in seventh. We have Super Mod in eighth. In ninth, we have the Dalai Lama four. And rounding out the top ten with one thousand seven hundred and eighty-five points is Semper Fast. Now Doug uh, Doug dropped to fourth there. Um, Clyde Clyde uh, had a huge week and jumped to first, but. Uh, not separated by a lot of points. Uh, Clyde is 1904, Moon Cup's 1902, so the top two spots are pretty close, and uh, Doug is only like 25, 20, uh, 29 points behind that. So uh, it's anybody's ball game. I had another rough week, and I've actually dipped, dropped a couple more positions in the overall standings. Team Blaney Admins jumped down into the 45th position in our NASCAR Fantasy Live League. So. This has been another fun thing to uh, to keep up with throughout the week, and we've actually had a couple people interact with us on Twitter talking about the Fantasy League, so um, it's been fun. Steve's definitely kicking my butt right now, but I'm hoping maybe I'll make a playoff push toward the end of the season. So I think that about wraps up another really good episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. Again, our thanks go out to Josh Williams, the spotter for Ryan Blaney, and that number 12 Team Penske Ford Mustang for coming on for a second time really gave us some really really cool insights into that talladega race yeah there was a lot uh, a lot of behind the scenes and a lot of things that he said that were stuff that you don't even hear him say as as he's spotting the race so um you know definitely uh something i'm gonna go back and listen to again as soon as it's posted uh, and uh yeah he's he's got so much information and he does such a great job and uh you know he was the hero this weekend really that whole thing with the getting the tape off the grill uh, what that takes to coordinate that at a super speedway, uh, it was amazing. Shows the important and importance of having a really good spotter and a trustworthy spotter. So thank you again, Josh, and then thank you for everyone else for tuning into this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about myself or co-host Steve, just go ahead and listen to our very first episode that dives deep into how we both became fans of the Blaney Racing family. If you'd like to interact with us, you can find Team Blaney on Twitter at Team Blaney and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Team Blaney. Don't forget to also download, rate, and subscribe to the Team Blaney Podcast on all the major podcasting apps. Once again, as we close out the show, we want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization, established in 2018, supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. You can find out more about the foundation on its website, ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org, or on Twitter at rbfamfoundation, and then finally on Facebook at facebook.com slash rbfamilyfoundation. For my co-host, Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next week on the Team Blaney Podcast.